we are certainly in an emergency situation where we should not take more than one government's period of governance to make sure that each and every school is broadband enabled, each and every uh, business has got a website and they are visible, each and every panchayat and uh, village council has a website and literate and educated every woman who work at a health uh, center or a, or a health um, uh, unit in a village level should be digitally literate and the health center should be telecommunication oriented. Each and every NGO should be online. Every government department up to the groundest level should be online and disseminating information. This is a national emergency now. That was Osama Manza, co-founder of India's Digital Empowerment Foundation, or DEF. I'm Andrew Garden, and you are listening to the second episode of Right to Know. Osama's Foundation is one of a small number of organisations addressing the vast inequities in India's rural and tribal villages, a widely dispersed population experiencing severe social and economic disadvantage where no telecommunication infrastructure exists. The lack of anything doesn't appear to be a hindrance to Osama. Overcoming the insurmountable seems to make his projects stronger, resilient and the people who drive them ever more creative. One such project is Suchna Seva, or Hindi for Information Service. Now, Suchna Seva provides computer and internet access to thousands of government benefits and schemes designed for anyone living below the poverty line. The first of these information service hubs was set up in 2014. So, uh, I am uh, Abdul Wahid, project manager in Suchna Seva, and I am looking after two districts, West Champaran and Rachi. When they first opened, Abdul told me they had registered exactly 20,078 people in the first three months. Over 16,000 of these people were shown how to sign up for public schemes and entitlements they had never known existed. So, uh, uh, Suchna Seva is a joint initiative of uh, European Union and Digital Empowerment Foundation. So, it was started in January 2014 with the aim uh, uh, to provide the services to the poor and uh, vulnerable population of uh, the rural areas, especially in five districts. So these five districts are BRGF, namely uh, West Champaran in Bihar, Rachi in Uttarakhand, Tarigadwal in uh, 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 the Tarigadwal is in Uttarakhand, and uh, uh, two are project in Badmer in Rajasthan and Guna in Madhya Pradesh. So we are doing our intervention in five locations. Yeah. Sushma Seva has found widowers and retirees who had no idea that they had a right to a pension. Many did not know what a pension is. These are people living in India's far-flung rural districts that have no idea what they are eligible for. 
Not even my crew knew that the Indian government sponsors bicycles for girls living in remote villages to help them get to school. Uh, basically, uh, we are covering 100 schemes initially. And uh, for example, uh, recently announced uh, is Pradhan Mantri Jandan Yojana, Indra Awas Yojana. And uh, somewhere is uh, like Ladli and uh, uh, old age pension, widow pension. So these type of schemes are there. But how do you reach all these remote villages? How do you get to know about Suchna Seva? How does one communicate to the unreachable? Well, it turns out it's pretty simple. I had seen huge loud hailers and public address systems set up on the back of trucks, calling from street to street at impossibly loud volumes, announcing public meetings, inviting everyone to listen to what people like Abdul had to say. It's here at these open-air meetings that their work begins. In Bihar, where we travelled to by train, we attended two such meetings. It was an early start at Balfa, a suburb at the near edge of the city of Betia, about six kilometres from the Indo-Nepalese border and famous for hosting Mahatma Gandhi's earliest forays into non-violent protest. Betia is also home to a library established by the British in 1905. In one part of the building we find computers, and in another a trove of multilingual literary treasures, thousands of books literally turning to dust on the shelves they have sat on for generations. We were led to an open-air meeting space where a small temple had begun its morning ritual of gongs and incense. But earlier, a van with a small public address system had driven through back streets, blasting out details of the meeting. Everyone was invited to find out about the new Suchna Seva services in town. Local identity, activist and musician, Rameshwar Prasad led the gathering. In, in a dramatic oratory style, he pitched the project, informing all those who had crowded onto mats in the meeting space, he told them about the benefits they are eligible to claim. It wasn't an easy sell though. Many of the men claimed they had heard such promises before and don't have anything to show for it. The deal breaker was a combination of Rameshwa's local expertise and how much he's respected there. The presence of the local mayor or Sarpanch, Shrikant Devi, helped too. Now, Mrs Devi is the first woman to be elected head of Betia's local governing body, the Panchayat or council. In fact, the first woman to be elected to such a position in the entire state. The chemistry that made this meeting work relied on a combination of getting the message out with drivable speakers and excruciatingly loud announcements, trusted locals to tell the story in a manner people were comfortable with, and a strategic alignment with the mayor to give the whole project legitimacy. 
The approach at the next public meeting we attended was very different indeed, as was the audience. It was a long drive to Pisoni, much of it on roads fit for ox carts. Passing sugarcane fields we did indeed encounter ox carts, dozens of them loaded with sugarcane, steadily hauled to a refinery, barking smoke from its vast factory into a grey-blue sky. We arrived around 3pm and it looked like it was going to rain. A small building, painted a cheerful pink and blue, housed a fledgling Suchnaseva hub, its meeting room filled with women. I counted 32. Rameshwa was there with his musicians and our crew squeezed into the only space available. But just as we were about to get started, the building was struck, would you believe it? It was struck with lightning. I saw a ball of light thrown from the sky. It made contact with the ground and exploded into an intense shard of light about two metres in front of me. A clap of thunder followed so loud it should have split the building, and thankfully it hadn't. It did, however, numb Rohit, our cameraman's legs. It also blew the fuse to the building. I quickly checked to see if anyone was hurt and found Mabin, our photographer, stunned. The lightning had struck no more than a metre from where he stood. In fact, there were children, there were people everywhere. Apart from Rohit's stiff legs, I was amazed no one was actually hurt. Eventually we got batteries running on our lights and Rohit could move his legs again and Rameshwa's musicians began. They performed three rousing tunes to our glum, perhaps exhausted audience. As soon as they had finished, packed up and stepped out of the room, Rameshwa began. This time he was even more animated, drawing curious comments, occasionally smiles and laughter from the women. He had totally readapted his presentation, and for good reason. Councils across India were up for re-election, so Rameshwa took the opportunity to focus his pitch around informed voting. He began by asking, what determines the outcome of these elections? One woman answered, corruption. The one who gives a bribe gets preference in receiving benefits, said another. This isn't fair then, Rameshwa replied. Another woman added, many cheat in the process. Even politicians, they never return to our village once they win elections. From the back of the room, they don't fulfill any of their promises. 
So Rameshwa asked, what about before the elections? What happens? Well, they come to us, one of the women said, begging for our votes. They promise us that they will work for our better future. Getting to the core of his pitch, Rameshwa asked, what happens during elections? People sell their votes for a bottle of liquor. True, the women replied. Rameshwa added, somebody else sells his vote for money and some vote on the basis of caste and ignore a good candidate. And the women all agreed. Yes, yes, they said, people have one like that. Rameshwa continued, some vote on religious grounds, saying, we'll vote for someone of the same faith. Everyone votes with a bias in mind. Can you pick a good candidate like this? We should think intelligently during elections. They all agreed, nodding and gesturing to each other. Elect a candidate who has time for your issues and the dedication to solving them, Rameshwa went on. I'm warning you in advance, do not vote in exchange for liquor and money or on the basis of caste or religion. And remember that women play the most crucial role in voting. Women can make a candidate win or lose. And how do they do that? Well, men go running around attending election campaigns in the hope of receiving money or alcohol while women sit at home and yet are capable of making the right choice. Women's power is something that has the potential to bring about social change. Until women participate, there cannot be change. I asked Rameshwa why he placed so much emphasis on women's rights. I envision a society based on equality, he answered. Men and women should be treated equally in the development of a region, society, a district or a country. The role of women is very important. However, our society still practices dowry, due to which many girls are killed in the womb. People fail to understand that girls could have grown up to be good humans, they could have made their nation proud, but they are killed in their mother's womb. It's called female feticide. There needs to be an end to such practices. Women should be given an equal opportunity to lead our nation's development. describing access to information as not only a right but as a form of strength. I feel when I receive new information, Rameshwa said, I am motivated and, and have the strength to do something, 
So I believe information creates some kind of energy within people that gives them immense strength. So where there's information, there's motivation and strength to lead them ahead. This is the reason I think information is important. And this brings us to the end of episode two. In episode three, we visit the ancient city of Chanderi, home to four and a half thousand weavers. We are inundated with terrifically bad smells and we find a pirate radio broadcaster living a few hours drive from where the Buddha had first meditated. Thank you for listening.